All right, Jeff, I'll do the introduction since when it's your turn. You don't really even do an introduction. You, you know, I just realized that? Yeah, I mean, last time you know, I forgot I to do that. Can I depend on you for nothing? I mean, you know, I mean, how hard is it? You got to be. Here's how you do it. Let me, I'm going to demonstrate for you how do you do that. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Fields Brothers Show. Hey, Roger Fields here. I am with my brother Jeff. Now we're in Central Kentucky um, on our wedding farm venue. Uh, we're in what we call the man cave, which is a room that the men take, you know, kind of change clothes and hang out waiting on the wedding to happen. And so we're recovering pastors with no history of scandal. Uh, we talk about the unfiltered go- uh, grace of God in a time of mixed grace. And we just kind of try to help people understand the pure grace of God without a mixture of religious ambiguity. And and so anyway, uh, listener discretion is advised. Uh, what you hear on this program may not necessarily reflect those of the staff management of your local church. All right, Jeff, you got your first crack at this. Anything going on in your life you want to talk about? Can I talk now? Yes, go ahead. Okay. You can no, talk to no, anything. You can no. have jumped in. Just because I'm on a roll doesn't mean you can't jump um, in. I mean. Well, no, nothing really. <laughs> All right. Well, then I'll take over. Hey, we, I was talking to some of the guys recently about, uh, you know, a lot of people are just, and I understand, wringing their hands about what they see in the world. I mean, there's just a lot of people are just messed up. I mean, you know, you can't. I mean, we're not going to make this a political show, but people are pretty upset that what kids are being taught in schools, mm-hmm. and there's a whole lot of stuff. They're just, are, it's, it's a crazy, crazy time. There's no doubt about that. And so the question becomes, how do you reach people like this? How do you reach people that, you know, it's like the the Supreme Court, you know, nominee, who's now on the Supreme Court, that, that couldn't discern what a right. woman is because she wasn't a biologist. Well, you right. know, I mean, just the craziest stuff. <laughs> now, there you yeah. go. So we're not off, off politics. But <laughs> the idea being that the world is just, kind of indescribable sometimes and so you know we talked about how do you reach people like that and and the thing i was trying to say to them is that you know you have to reframe the argument you know you don't frame it in okay let's try to you know straighten out everybody's uh viewpoints of whether it's morality or you know your sexual orientation or whatever that all that you know but you have to frame it the fact that you have a god It's, it's the power of the message itself you have a god who loves you and who came down and paid the price for you that you could not pay so that you could be forever secure and safe in him, knowing that he has paid the full price for your redemption, your salvation, you're his forever. The power of that message alone, I think, cuts through a lot of stuff, even culturally. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. And, and I think we need to be you know, saying that to people. Um, we talked about you know that the, they felt like the church had really let the culture down. But, I said, but what, you know, so what does that mean, that the church just hasn't been you know, harsh enough to condemn sin and to preach against the stuff we see. You know, that's not the solution. You yeah. know, anybody that believes, well, if we just tougher on sin, the law would, brings out know, sin. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing we've we're convinced there not that, work, that right. the the law actually brings out sin. So that the you know the the answer to overcome sin is not more law. Right. It's not more. I mean, I'm not right. talking about civil laws and things right. like that. I'm talking about moral laws. The law and, is, is an approach to God. When we say law, yeah. we mean doing good things or not doing bad things is, is a way to gain acceptance yeah. from God. That's what yeah. we mean by law. That's yeah. kind of the way the Bible would use it, and that's a whole other podcast probably. But So anyway, that got me thinking about this statement that Jesus makes. You know, Before John 3.16, you know, he makes the announcement of, is, is, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and that was a story. He referred to this story in Numbers where people got sick. They lifted this snake up on a stick. People just looked at this snake and got healed. That's all they did was lift it, look at the snake. They didn't have to pray hard, they didn't have to do Bible studies, they didn't mm-hmm. have to be religious. 
Look at this thing. And Jesus said, and use that as an analogy for himself. And I guess yeah. some people would say the reason he compared himself to this snake is because he took on all sin in himself when he was right. crucified. So he says, so whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God's love of the world, and it goes through John three sixteen. you know, that he gave his only begotten son, that who should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but through him might be saved. And then he says that, that uh, then down a little bit lower, it talks about, so she says Jesus was lifted up. But then down in, in chapter 12, verse 32, what does that mean? So Jesus says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself, all different kinds of people. And John said, comments that this, he was showing by what kind of death he was going to die. So being mm-hmm. lifted up was clearly in Scripture um, a, a way to say crucifixion. You're lifted up, mm-hmm. you're crucified, you're not laying on the ground when you do that, they lift you up. And, and so the idea is real simple to me, now what's your comment, that what draws people, I believe, to Jesus is when you have a clear, concise message that the cross, what, what Jesus did for us by shedding his blood for us, paid for everything, lock, stock, and barrel, once and forever, over, paid for. That the power of that message, mm-hmm. I believe, cuts through any kind of cultural mess. Does that make sense? Yes, and and that it comes from a a heavenly Father who loves us, because part obviously part of the John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, then Romans five, that God commends His love toward us, even while we were yet sinners. So yes, that message, regardless of political affiliations, all these things, that the God of this universe is a Father who loved you enough to die for you, to come in the form of his son, to die on the cross for you. I mean, that is powerful, and that that is, and that does make a change. And that is, you know, I think we are seeing more and more emphasis. You know, this whole thing of the grace movement or grace teaching or whatever you call it, you know, I, I guess every generation always thinks they're kind of part of a, some special movement. So may, <laughs> maybe I'm uh, foolish on yeah, this. I, I don't know. But, but there does seem to be more and more people of all different. And one thing is it's encouraging. It's in all different denominations. It is. Yeah. Of more of an emphasis on the new covenant and on grace and and absolutely and and even you know I, I heard a good sermon last. And let Sunday. me say it this way: not just only on the new cup, but away from a mixed grace message. Yeah, I think you have to understand it that way. It's away from this mixture that we've called the Franken gospel, where you just pile mm-hmm. everything into this monster of a little bit of grace, a little bit of what you do, a little bit of you know, it's this mixture of all kinds of religious stuff. We've called that the gospel. That's not the gospel, anyway. Go ahead. But yeah, when when we see and the, and the cross is such a public event. I mean, so lifted up, it means yeah. actually, as John points out, is on the cross, but it's also a physical reference of, of just the publicity of that, and that is the message. And that's why, you know, First Corinthians, Paul talks about the power of the cross and, and the message of the cross and right. the preaching of the cross and all that. So it's it's a message that, I mean, there's a lot in that. Yes, it came from the love of God, did that for us, but it also speaks of our need. You know, the reason he died was because there was sin that had to be dealt with yeah. and, and required yeah. That. All right, now let me give let me take you into this. We'll kind of segue off of that into something related, okay? So, you know, we've talked about the fact in the Bible many times it talks about we rest in God. Mm-hmm. I mean, resting is a big deal in the New Testament. Uh, we rest in his complete work, okay? So here's my question. What do you rest from exactly? Now, we've said, well, you rest from trying to work and earn your acceptance from God. Okay, I believe that. I think there's something even deeper than that. And I've, you know, we've touched on it a little bit, but I've kind of seen it a little differently now, and I want to kind of 
zero in on it. So what do you get to rest from, Jeff? You're you're now you're trusting in what Jesus has done for you. He's paid the whole price, hundred percent. So what do you not have to do now that you used to probably do? What I used to. Do well, when I think of it, I think of resting from. It's not so much that I'm not doing. It has to do with the motive and the purpose behind okay. what I do. So it's not so much that I'm not doing certain things. It's, it's I'm not doing certain things for a particular reason. Okay. And so they become. So I'm not doing anything in order to get closer to well, God, right. in order to be more accepted to God or acceptable to God, to become more righteous. I rest from my own efforts, my own works to make myself presentable to God. I agree with all so that. Let me give you another way to think of it. Okay. Okay. What you get to rest from is introspection. Yeah. You just don't have to spend all day figuring out, did I do enough for God? Am I too sinful? Did I, what are my motives like? You know? I mean, we, you, can beat, you can beat yourself up over your motives all day long. Yeah. You know that? Well, why did I really do that? I mean, I did something good, yeah. but why was it? Was I just trying to get something from God? <laughs> was it because I'm trying to prove something? I mean, you, you, can, you can use motives to torment yourself 24-7. And that's the way introspection is. And that's the opposite of the, what you're talking about before that, looking at the cross, looking up at the... That's, so that's where I'm going. Okay, you're going to okay. tie that together already. Now, okay. then, I have it, then, I have, then I have my grand finale of this whole thing here. I want to bleed you into I'm leading you into some place, right. okay? Now, so that's where you get to Hebrews 12, and the first couple of verses, we, um, we lay aside weights, we lay aside the sin that tangles us up, not that keeps us from God. Sin just mm. trips you up, but didn't keep God yeah. from you. That we run with endurance to race that out before us, looking to Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author yeah. and finisher of faith. You're never called to just introspect yourself all the time, except for it talks about to see if you're in the faith. <clears throat> now, it does talk about looking at yourself to see if you're in the faith, not to see if, how your performance is working out yeah. or if you're doing enough from God and all that. So here's my question. I believe that left to ourselves, our default position or our default mode of operating is to be introspective. I think if left to ourselves, if we don't have a, an understanding of the gospel, we're focused on the gospel, that's kind of what you end up doing. Mm-hmm. I've, I don't know how many groups I've been in where the question is, well, how are you doing? You know? yeah. And you have to think. And they used to always show me, well, I don't know. How am I doing? Because I'm not, you know, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm kind of out from, of that yeah, whole introspection yeah. thing now. But I used to would have said, oh, I don't know. I, Wednesday, I didn't pray at all. You're kind you know? of... Yeah, you're kind of darn if you do and darn yeah, if you don't. Right. I mean, if you yeah. say you're doing great, well, now you're arrogant. Well, yeah. then you're not right. doing because now you got arrogance, right. so you're not doing as yeah, great right. as you thought you were. It, it, it's a or trap. if you're down, well, why aren't well, you know? Yeah, I'm not doing good. I'm well. Why right. not then? You know, what do you need? Well, to, that's so and that's one no my, win, new, my new terms too. It's an introspection ambush. You walk mm-hmm. into this thing. You think you're supposed to be doing this. You think you know to be a good Christian. You got to constantly be thinking about all the stuff you're not doing, all the things you are doing, your attitudes, your actions, your motives, and all this stuff. Well, eventually, it just beats you down, and you get ambushed. You can't do it. Now, so what is God's, I would say, what is God's remedy for that? Now, obviously, we say it's the cross, okay? It's grace. It's the message. But I believe God has done one thing to kind of help us to keep the focus, to take the, the, the look off of our own performance and on what he has done. And I would say it's really after your Come into the kingdom. It's really the only thing that God has asked us to do, and I would believe I believe that would be the Lord's Supper. Okay, which I believe that directs communion, us to the cross. Yeah, yeah. the communion is really about that. It's a reminder that it's not about you. Mm-hmm. That it's not just something you have to do to kind of earn points with God. It's not just something you do because well, I got to be obedient and do this thing. However often your church does it, but it's a reminder that 
it's all about the body and blood of Christ, what he did for us. And we broke that down before, but just kind of to leave that aside for a minute, yeah. it just keeps the focus off of introspection. But well, that, that should, but unfortunately, it's often turned around. Well, because it for says, an introspective you, you, thing. because there is a verse, part of the verse says, we examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. And we've turned it around to examine ourselves to see if how we're doing, you know, how yeah, we're I living. Mean, yeah, I mean, it's, and it's so, but anyway, and, the, and we've said before, it's the only scripture in the New Testament, you know, after the cross that uh, quotes Jesus. Well, the, the disciples never quoted Jesus except for this. The you know, one time the book of Acts says it quotes him as blessed, more blessed to give than receive, which is not in the Gospels. Not in the Gospels, it's something there. he pulled but out. the only line. one that's directly re- right. re- quoted from the right. four Gospels, right. yeah, where he says this is the right. blood in the New Covenant. Right. And right. so, yeah, and, and that's, you know, I think in Galatians 3, you talked about, you know, Jesus who was crucified before your very eyes. You've gotten yeah. your eyes off of that. Right. And, and oh, so, there's a lot of scripture about that. Yeah. And so what happens is what? When you start to be introspective, to your own life, then what do you start? What's your next step? What are you going to do next? You're going to be introspective toward everybody else. I got to inspect yeah. you. I mean, if I'm going to do this to me, I can't, you know, go through this misery on my own. And we wonder why people aren't attracted to the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just going to be all miserable because we don't know that we're ever living up to this. We're always scrutinizing, over scrutinizing stuff. We used to we used to term navel gazing. We're always looking so intently in our our own lives, and we understand don't understand why other people are not attractive to this message well no wonder and then we start introspecting everybody else and pretty soon we're all introspecting this together as i heard a pastor recently and, say then we're all doing this song and dance together and and we learned this early this the other day uh one of my grandchildren four years old and i forget now what it was but he was at a he was at a thing thursday morning with a bunch of other kids <laughs> and and he pointed out to us some other kids were doing something they weren't supposed to do and i i, I don't even remember now what it was but it was a very specific thing that they were doing that they weren't supposed to do. And he noticed that they were doing this and they weren't supposed to do it. So, yeah, so I yeah. got a joke with my daughter-in-law. So he's four years old. He's already a legalist. A little Pharisee. I mean, that's part of the flesh. You know, that's just the way the flesh operates. Yeah. Now, if we're in Christ, we're no longer in the flesh. Right. But we, you know, the flesh is still, you know, that old pattern is still hanging around. Right. That it's easy to fall into. In terms of the rest, I don't know how this fits in, but I actually thought the other day, and I had something written down on this. This kind of struck me. And I, again, I don't know much what to do with this. See what thoughts you have. You know, that passage in Matthew 11, of course, Hebrews talks a lot about rest, where Jesus says, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. He doesn't say, come to me, you that are weary and heavy laden, and rest he doesn't command us to rest he says, give it to i you. will give you yeah rest right and i thought well that's interesting yeah that is that's so a this better way resting of is yeah. not something that although hebrews does talk about well, laboring to enter the rest and so you know we can well, look you, at it it's still something you enter it's not it's not True, it's, yes, it is it's just you, something yeah. you okay, do because yeah. really it's yeah. all things not doing right <laughs> but yeah but but when you understand the cross when you understand see here's what i would say to anybody listening to us listening to this podcast today we would say that it's all about the cross. It's all about what God has done for you in Jesus. He's paid the full price. And when you understand that, you just rest. It's not like you have to work at it to do it. You enter something that you rest. And I would say to the listener out there, never let anybody take that away from you. Yeah. Just don't let people take that away from you. Don't let a preacher take it away from you. Don't let some Bible study take that away from you. That is the core message that drove the church um, and inspired, I should say, the church in the first century to really, you know, spread this message all over the world. It wasn't allegiance to a book. They didn't really have a book for a long, long, several hundred years, but they had a message. And the revolutionary message was Jesus paid the full price on the cross. You can come to God now because there's, he's not holding your, your sins against you. He's taking care of all that. 
It's all just simple relationship. You're not obligated to anything. And that's what produces life. That's what produces fruit. And uh, that's the message. And that, you know, that's a good, for any, you know, you and I don't preach on a regular basis or hardly ever at all anymore other than in our podcast. But I think for any person who's standing in front of a group of people preaching Sunday to Sunday or teaching, you know, that would be kind of a, if I was back in that mode, I think that's kind of a good litmus test every Sunday. Yes. Did the people that, that listen to me, did they, did they leave here thinking about the cross? Did they leave here focused on the cross? Did they leave here looking at the cross? And that makes yeah. it pretty simple. And I mean, really every sermon ought to direct us to, to the cross. Yeah, like it ought that. to direct very us few to do. Jesus and what he has done for us yeah. and not put us into more introspection. I mean, how many sermons yeah. have we heard yeah. where really you're just supposed to leave there you know, we, we use old all and we use all kinds of old covenant verses for this, you know. If there be any wicked way in me, Lord, you know, show me that you know, show me all my wicked ways. And, and I mean stuff that's completely contrary to the grace of the gospel as expressed in the New Testament, um, um from the cross and from the resurrection on. Recently the congregation I, I attend, you know, the, the pastor brought a message on the thief of the cross. It was very good. I mean, it was and he just talked about the simplicity, thief on the cross. You know, they were saying, you know, can't even save yourself and you try to save others. And they don't realize that he is saving the thief right next to him right. on the cross. And yeah. just the power of Jesus to save that one individual while he's dying. And just the review of that, you know, that is that is empowering. Yeah. You know, to, when you see the power of Jesus to save someone like see, that, that's good news and that's empowering. Yeah. And a lot of this stuff weaves together. So let me give you another angle on this whole thing. So, so the question becomes, why are we so into um, this, you know, this introspection, doing stuff for God? Well, one of the reasons, I believe, is because we've presented to people a very needy God. Mm-hmm. We present a God who really, we have kind of projected him as a God who needs us more than we need him. I don't believe God really needs us. I believe yeah. God's doing pretty good, but you know, like He needs our praise. You know, He needs us to serve Him. He ne- always needs our money. He needs us to build the kingdom. He needs us to. He, it, so we've had this God who has all these needs, and so therefore we can't rest because we think that God has to have us doing all this stuff for Him. And I think that's a mistake. You know, we've talked before about the fact Jesus said he builds the church. He doesn't need us to build the church even. Right. Yeah. He will take care of that. But we, we then go in, we, into this thing where we, you know, it's up to us to solve the world's problems. You know, there's poverty in the world because Christians aren't doing enough. If there's wars or sickness, we're not doing enough. And, you know, in the Bible, typically when people did things, even great things, they weren't really doing them for God as much as they were doing them for themselves. I mean, Noah built a boat, not for God. It, the boat didn't save God. It saved mm-hmm. Noah and his family. Noah's building a boat so he wouldn't drown, not so God wouldn't drown. You know, when David killed Goliath, you know, Goliath didn't threaten God. He was, you know, they killed Goliath because <laughs> Goliath was going to kill everybody else. Yeah, or that, you, yeah. know, you know, so, we, you know, the whole thing has just been turned around where God is, I think, made to be very weak. He's very needy. And therefore, we don't understand the power of what he's done for us on the cross because we don't really think of God like that. We don't think of this powerful God who's doing these things and has done these things for us and that we need him. We think of this God who's just sitting up there waiting for us to, you know, preach against sin more. He's waiting for us to build the kingdom, waiting for us, you know. 
And I think that's a mistake. Yeah, it's kind of like a view of that God, uh, and I forget the exact terminology for this, a view of God where he's not active in the affairs of men today, that he just he just kind of wound up the clock and, and left it going on its own, and now it's all up to us. And he's just waiting on us so, to do things. But every time there's anything wrong with anything, well, if the, you know, the church just is letting us down. The church is not doing well. Okay, I think the big mistake of the church and where the church office is we just don't believe the gospel. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big problem. But it's not because the church has it more and more engaged to try to solve all the world's problems. And um, and that God just, you know, you know, when Jesus said, um, um, you know, our friend that quotes his verses, verse to us all the time, Jesus said very clearly, I did not come to be served, mm-hmm. but to serve. And he never revoked that. He never changed yeah. that. He did not come to this earth so that we would serve him. He came to this earth so that he could serve us because we're the ones who needed serving. We're the ones who needed something from God. We need God a lot more than God needs us. Yeah, so, and very so, simple point. Yeah, I mean, it's a life of dependence. I mean, that yeah. one. Th- I heard someone else uh, say this on a podcast a few days ago that you know the whole idea of faith, and obviously it's you know righteous shall live by faith. That's a key part in all this. There, that in our Western world, our Western Western mindset tends to think of faith more as a mental intellectual exercise where in in new testament it's really more an idea of trust and there's a difference there and so that gets to what you're talking about that when we realize our need for god and that god is is meeting our need and 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 serving us in in that regard through his life day to day who loved me and gave himself for me and lives through me lives in me every day you know it's a attitude of trust and dependence on that right i agree with you and it's not it's not an attitude of i'm so great therefore god's got to do everything i want him to do and god's got to serve me it's it's that i have the needs here i'm the one who's weak without god i'm the one who needs god um god doesn't need me a lot of people look at the world just see how things are just kind of falling apart and it's like well we we've got to somehow pull this all together for God. You know God's kind of wringing His hands, and I'm reminded many times of the verses in um, in Psalm two, where it says, you know, it says, "Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us.' I think a lot of it goes on in the world because people do know instinctively there is a God, mm-hmm. and they are just rebelling against that but what's god do it says and he sits in the heaven and laughs now he didn't laugh at them so much you know he's just laughing at the idea yeah. they can break the bonds they can do all this and oppose god and, and win in this deal and god's you know god is not freaked out by that he's not um he's just not you know trying to figure out what to do um god's got this and we're the ones who have the need. We're the ones who need God. And, and, not, and, and that he has met the need through Christ and the forgiveness, what right, we talked about right, and all that. Right. And, you know, this gets back to the other thing, introspection. I saw a quote the other day, and I was looking forward to it here, but I couldn't find the exact quote. But really good about how, he, and this person had a YouTube video, shared a, a little segment from a fairly well-known younger pastor and, and just talking about kind of, you know, kind of pounding the congregation about if they had enough works, you know, yeah. to be evidence of their faith. And we've talked about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago. But then his quote was essentially something like, if your system presents the fact that only the the few elite are doing enough or really have it together and everybody else is left wondering, then that's a horrible system. That's a horrible and and that's that's system we've got. And a lot of pastors wouldn't say that and wouldn't intentionally, but they, you know, you end up coming across that. I mean, so the person in the pew is thinking, well, the pastor has it all together. You know, they're they're evidently doing a bunch of stuff. I'm not sure if I'm doing enough. And you end up with kind of an elite group that seems to be doing enough, and the other, and there's always a gap. I mean, think about the law. 
the law always imagines a gap that needs to be closed. You've right. never done enough. And then we got it. So we sing about that. We teach about that rather than realizing that the cross, one way of saying it, the, the cross closed the gap. And, 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 and what happens when you put this elite on this kind of pedestal and we find out the elite messes yeah, yeah, up? Yeah. Well, then the whole system falls yeah. apart because yeah. it's kind of based on that. We're looking to this person thinking, well, they can do it so we can do it. And they're our inspiration. They're kind of our example. And they're gone someplace we haven't gone and we want to follow them. And all of a sudden we find out, no, they're a mess too. And the whole system falls apart. Or, or what happens sometimes is even if the, the the elite don't crash and burn, they just get to a point they just can't do it anymore. They, they can't live up to this impossible standard mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, I am living the exemplary Christian life. And you can look to me and we find out that, well, they're really not. And a lot of people close to them know that. We saw one time I saw uh, a, a pastor that was, preaching to a, it was to a bunch of kids and a youth kind of thing, and he was he was really going at it, you know, and he was talking about stuff. And you could see it written all of his wife's face. She was in front of, like, uh, like kind of rolling around. I was thinking, oh, really? I mean, it was really interesting. I mean, you were there in person? I was there in person and oh, saw this, and she was like, you know, like, you are absolutely out of your mind <laughs> if you think that you're living up to this. You know, you could kind of see that. What me, was it? Wasn't you? I don't think okay. it was Okay, what me and Teresa was it? Okay. But uh, – <laughs> It was a real, um, I'm not saying hellfire, but it was a very um, overbearing kind of message, particularly to a bunch of kids. So anyway. A lot of that you know, comes from a sincere heart a lot of the times because I think a person like that doesn't know the power of the gospel and probably you know, to a large extent maybe hadn't experienced the, the power of grace in their own life to no, know they, that, that what changes the heart is the goodness of God, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. And there's no better demonstration of that than the cross. So I agree. It's been a few weeks, I think, since we've said, check out our book, Breaking the Hex, Life with God After the Cross Killed Religion, and wrote about that on my Facebook page for a Good Friday. And yeah, got see, some you interesting get a, yeah, responses I noticed that. that you got a few comments. Yeah. And I promise I will next time try to do a better job of giving an intro to our, our, our podcast. When you this just got to step up that. your game so, a little bit. That's all. That's I all we're asking. I think I can. Okay. I think I can. <laughs>